Part One, Chapter One of Eight Hundred Leagues on the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Eight Hundred Leagues on the Amazon by Jules Verne. Part One The Giant Raft. Chapter One A Captain of the Woods. P. H. Y. J. S. L. Y. D. D. Q. F. D. Z. X. G. A. S. G. Z. Z. Q. Q. E. H. X. G. K. F. N. D. R. X. U. J. U. G. I. O. C. Y. T. D. X. V. K. S. B. X. H. H. U. Y. P. O. H. D. V. Y. R. Y. M. H. U. H. P. U. Y. D. K. J. O. X. P. H. E. T. O. Z. L. S. L. E. T. N. P. M. V. F. F. O. V. P. D. P. A. J. X. H. Y. Y. N. O. J. Y. G. G. A. Y. M. E. Q. Y. N. F. O. Q. L. N. M. V. L. Y. F. G. S. U. Z. M. Q. I. Z. T. L. B. Q. Q. Y. U. G. S. Q. E. U. B. V. N. R. C. R. E. D. G. R. U. Z. B. L. R. M. X. Y. U. H. Q. H. P. Z. D. R. R. G. C. R. O. H. E. P. Q. X. U. F. I. V. V. R. P. L. P. H. O. N. T. H. V. D. D. Q. F. H. Q. S. N. T. Z. H. 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 N. F. E. P. M. Q. K. Y. U. U. E. X. K. T. O. G. Z. G. K. Y. U. U. M. F. V. I. J. D. Q. D. P. Z. J. Q. S. Y. K. R. P. L. X. H. X. Q. R. Y. M. V. K. L. O. H. 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 O. T. O. Z. V. D. K. S. P. P. S. U. V. J. H. D. The man who held in his hand the document of which this strange assemblage of letters formed the concluding paragraph remained for some moments lost in thought. It contained about a hundred of these lines, with the letters at even distances and undivided into words. It seemed to have been written many years before, and time had already laid his tawny finger on the sheet of good stout paper which was covered with the hieroglyphics. On what principle had these letters been arranged? He who held the paper was alone able to tell. With such cipher language it is as with the locks of some of our iron safes. In either case the protection is the same. 
the combinations which they lead to can be counted by millions, and no calculator's life would suffice to express them. Some particular word has to be known before the lock of the safe will act, and some cipher is necessary before that cryptogram can be read. He, who had just reperused the document, was but a simple captain of the woods. Under the name of Capitais do Mato are known in Brazil, those individuals who are engaged in the recapture of fugitive slaves. The institution dates from 1722. At that period anti-slavery ideas had entered the minds of a few philanthropists, and more than a century had to elapse before the mass of the people grasped and applied them. That freedom was a right, that the very first of the natural rights of man was to be free and to belong only to himself, would seem to be self-evident, and yet thousands of years had to pass before the glorious thought was generally accepted and the nations of the earth had the courage to proclaim it. In 1852, the year in which our story opens, there were still slaves in Brazil, and, as a natural consequence, captains of the woods to pursue them. For certain reasons of political economy, the hour of general emancipation had been delayed. But the black had at this date the right to ransom himself. The children which were born to him were born free. The day was not far distant when the magnificent country, into which could be put three-quarters of the continent of Europe, would no longer count a single slave among its ten millions of inhabitants. The occupation of the captains of the woods was doomed, and at the period we speak of the advantages obtainable from the capture of fugitives were rapidly diminishing. While, however, the culling continued sufficiently profitable, the captains of the woods formed a peculiar class of adventurers, principally composed of freedmen and deserters, of not very enviable reputation. The slave-hunters, in fact, belong to the dregs of society, and we shall not be far wrong in assuming that the man with the cryptogram was a fitting comrade for his fellow Capitais do Mato. Torres, for that was his name, unlike the majority of his companions, was neither half-breed, Indian, nor Negro. He was a white of Brazilian origin, and had received a better education than befitted his present condition. One of those unclassed men who are found so frequently in the distant countries of the New World, at a time when the Brazilian law still excluded mulattoes and others of mixed blood from certain employments, it was evident that if such exclusion had affected him, it had done so on account of his worthless character, and not because of his birth. Torres, at the present moment, was not, however, in Brazil. He had just passed the frontier and was wandering in the forests of Peru, from which issue the waters of the upper Amazon. He was a man of about thirty years of age, on whom the fatigues of a precarious existence seemed, thanks to an exceptional temperament and an iron constitution, to have had no effect. Of middle height, broad shoulders, regular features, and decided gait, his face was tanned with the scorching air of the tropics. He had a thick black beard, and eyes lost under contracting eyebrows, giving that swift but hard glance so characteristic of insolent natures. Clothed as backwoodsmen are generally clothed, not over-elaborately, his garments bore witness to long and roughish wear. On his head, stuck jauntily on one side, was a leather hat with a large brim. Trousers he had of coarse wool, which were tucked into the tops of the thick, heavy boots, which formed the most substantial part of his attire, and over all, and hiding all, 
was a faded yellowish poncho. But if Torres was a captain of the woods, it was evident that he was not now employed in that capacity, his means of attack and defense being obviously insufficient for any one engaged in the pursuit of the blacks. No firearms, neither gun nor revolver. In his belt, only one of those weapons, more sword than hunting knife, called a mancheta, and in addition he had an enchada, which is a sort of hoe, specially employed in the pursuit of the tatus and agutis, which abound in the forests of the upper Amazon, where there is generally little to fear from wild beasts. On the 4th of May, 1852, it happened, then, that our adventurer was deeply absorbed in the reading of the document on which his eyes were fixed, and, accustomed as he was to live in the forests of South America, he was perfectly indifferent to their splendors. Nothing could distract his attention, neither the constant cry of the howling monkeys, which St. Hilaire has graphically compared to the axe of the woodman as he strikes the branches of the trees, nor the sharp jingle of the rings of the rattlesnake, not an aggressive reptile, it is true, but one of the most venomous. Neither the bawling voice of the horned toad, the most hideous of its kind, nor even the solemn and sonorous croak of the bellowing frog, which, though it cannot equal the bull in size, can surpass him in noise. Torres heard nothing of all these sounds, which form, as it were, the complex voice of the force of the new world. Reclining at the foot of a magnificent tree, he did not even admire the lofty boughs of that Baufeu, or ironwood, with its somber bark, hard as the metal which it replaces in the weapon and the utensil of the Indian savage. No. Lost in thought, the captain of the woods turned the curious paper again and again between his fingers. With the cipher of which he had the secret, he assigned to each letter its true value. He read, he verified the sense of those lines, unintelligible to all but him, and then he smiled, and a most unpleasant smile it was. Then he murmured some phrases, in an undertone which none in the solitude of the Peruvian forests could hear and which no one, had he been anywhere else, would have heard. Yes, said he at length, here are a hundred lines, very neatly written, which, for some one that I know, have an importance that is undoubted. That somebody is rich, it is a question of life or death for him, and looked at in every way it will cost him something. And scrutinizing the paper with greedy eyes, at a conto only for each word of this last sentence, it will amount to a considerable sum, and it is this sentence which fixes the price. It sums up the entire document. It gives their true names to true personages. But before trying to understand it, I ought to begin by counting the number of words it contains, and even when this is done, its true meaning may be missed. In saying this, Torres began to count mentally. There are fifty-eight words, and that makes fifty-eight contos. With nothing but that one could live in Brazil, in America, wherever one wished, and even live without doing anything. And what would it be, then, if all the words of this document were paid for at the same price? It would be necessary to count by hundreds of contos. Ah, there is quite a fortune here for me to realize if I am not the greatest of duffers." It seemed as though the hands of Torres felt the enormous sum, and were already closing over the rolls of gold. 
Suddenly his thoughts took another turn. At length, he cried, I see land, and I do not regret the voyage which has led me from the coast of the Atlantic to the upper Amazon. But this man may quit America and go beyond the seas, and then how can I touch him? But no, he is there, and if I climb to the top of this tree I can see the roof under which he lives with his family. Then, seizing the paper and shaking it with terrible meaning, before to-morrow I will be in his presence, before to-morrow he will know that his honor and his life are contained in these lines, and when he wishes to see the cipher which permits him to read them, he, well, he will pay for it. He will pay if I wish it with all his fortune, as he ought to pay with all his blood. Ah, my worthy comrade, who gave me the cipher, who told me where I could find his old colleague, and the name under which he has been hiding himself for so many years, hardly suspects that he has made my fortune. For the last time Torres glanced over the yellow paper, and then, after carefully folding it, put it away into a little copper box which he used for a purse. This box was about as big as a cigar-case, and if what was in it was all Torres possessed, he would nowhere have been considered a wealthy man. He had a few of all the coins of the neighboring states, ten double condors and gold of the United States of Colombia, worth about a hundred francs, Brazilian heais, worth about as much, golden sols of Peru, worth, say, double, some Chilean escudos, worth fifty francs or more, and some smaller coins, but the lot would not amount to more than five hundred francs, and Torres would have been somewhat embarrassed had he been asked how or where he had got them. One thing was certain, that for some months, after having suddenly abandoned the trade of the slave-hunter, which he carried on in the province of Pará, Torres had ascended the basin of the Amazon, crossed the Brazilian frontier, and come into Peruvian territory. To such a man the necessities of life were but few. Expenses he had none, nothing for his lodging, nothing for his clothes. The forest provided his food, which in the backwoods cost him naught. A few heais were enough for his tobacco, which he bought at the mission stations or in the villages, and for a trifle more he filled his flask with liquor. With little he could go far. When he had pushed the paper into the metal box of which the lid shut tightly with a snap, Torres, instead of putting it into the pocket of his undervest, thought to be extra careful, and placed it near him in a hollow of a root of the tree, beneath which he was sitting. This proceeding, as it turned out, might have cost him dear. It was very warm. The air was oppressive. If the church of the nearest village had possessed a clock, the clock would have struck two, and, coming with the wind, Torres would have heard it, for it was not more than a couple of miles off. But he cared not as to time. Accustomed to regulate his proceedings by the height of the sun, calculated with more or less accuracy, he could scarcely be supposed to conduct himself with military precision. He breakfasted or dined when he pleased, or when he could. He slept when and where sleep overtook him. If his table was not always spread, his bed was always ready at the foot of some tree in the open forest and in other respects Torres was not difficult to please. He had travelled during most of the morning, and having already eaten a little, he began to feel the want of a snooze. Two or three hours' rest would, he thought, put him in a state to continue his road, 
and so he laid himself down on the grass as comfortably as he could, and waited for sleep beneath the ironwood tree. Torres was not one of those people who drop off to sleep without certain preliminaries. He was in the habit of drinking a drop or two of strong liquor, and of then smoking a pipe. The spirits, he said, overexcited the brain, and the tobacco smoke agreeably mingled with the general haziness of his reverie. Torres commenced, then, by applying to his lips a flask which he carried at his side. It contained the liquor generally known under the name of Chica in Peru, and more particularly under that of Caisuma in the upper Amazon, to which fermented distillation of the root of the sweet manioc, the captain had added a good dose of tafia, or native rum. When Torres had drunk a little of this mixture, he shook the flask, and discovered, not without regret, that it was nearly empty. "'Must get some more,' he said very quietly. Then, taking out a short wooden pipe, he filled it with the coarse and bitter tobacco of Brazil, of which the leaves belonged to that old Petun, introduced into France by Nicot, to whom we owe the popularization of the most productive and widespread of the Solanaceae. This native tobacco had little in common with the fine qualities of our present manufacturers, but Torres was not more difficult to please in this manner than in others, and so, having filled his pipe, he struck a match and applied the flame to a piece of that stick substance which is the secretion of certain of the hymenoptera, and is known as ants amadou. With the amadou he lighted up, and after about a dozen whiffs his eyes closed, his pipe escaped from his fingers, and he fell asleep. End of chapter 1 A Captain of the Woods Recording by Scott Robbins